Well, thank you. Such a wonderful welcome, uh, both on the door and uh, from the front here, and uh, we really appreciate that. Um, as Alan's just mentioned, I'm with my gorgeous wife, Angela, this morning. She's going to be sharing when I've finished. And... Um, yeah, it's so good to be with you guys. Um, I've actually known Alan for 20 odd years, I think, and this is the first time I've been in Durham on a Sunday morning. So, if he doesn't ask me back, I'll not be worried. I'll just think it's just going to take another 22 years for him to ask me back. So, uh, I'll not think I've done a bad job or anything like that. But, uh, no, Alan, what Alan said is true and, um, echoed by us. The relationship has been so helpful. And, um, you know, for me personally, particularly, but for us as couples, you know, Alan and Sandra have just been excellent. There has been some times when there's been ups and downs. There always is in the local church, and they've been absolutely excellent with us. So um, thank you. Uh, so thank you again for that. Um, we're from a small town um, about 15 miles south of York uh, called Selby. And um, I've actually lived there all my life, so I can't tell you where else I've been. That's just, that's just it. Um, I don't know how many of you will know Selby. Maybe you've passed signs for it on the A1 or something like that. Oh, wonderful. Some people are saying that they do know it. But uh, it's a town of about 18,000 people. And, um, yeah, it's just a small market town. We've got a vibrant church there. Um, I'm just thinking uh, about the kind of times and dates, but about 38 years ago, I, I, I know that because we've been married for 38 years this year, um, I know, you think, he doesn't even look 38, does he, Mabel? It's, um, but um, yeah, I'd only come to faith a few months before we got married, and then a few months after we got married, we, we were involved in a, a small church plant, six people. And, um, I, I mean, I, I didn't have any church background whatsoever. I, I'd never been to church. I didn't even know that there were any Christians in our town. I, I'd never met a Christian person before. And, um, you know, God amazingly got a hold of me and, um, you know, had some plans for me like he has for all of us. And uh, just, to, just to echo what some people were saying this morning, God loves faithfulness. And um, I didn't have very much, I still don't to be honest, but God loves faithfulness and he loves us just to be faithful in what he gives us. And um, this morning I think he's quite um, a little bit about that. I am um, a pastor of the church, as I understand it, I was just speaking briefly to Angus this morning, you've been praying about giftings, you know, between the two churches and the, you know, the way that we do share together. I was up here recently on a couple of uh, mission uh, days that you had um, speaking about mission uh, really enjoyed those but I'm a pastor by and large and of course the role of the pastor is the most important role out of those Ephesians gifts um, we, we know that obviously I mean you know the apostles they come in they plant found they they prepare you know foundations they put foundations in but it's the pastor that's got to build on the foundations. You know, the prophets come in and they prophesy and they exhort and encourage the church. But we know that um, church leaders, even if their primary gift is not that. We, in the Old Testament, the leaders were called seers. They, they have to see, they have to take the people forward. They have to bring people into the promises 
of God in the local context and wider, obviously. We have to preach the gospel like evangelists every week. And uh, obviously, we have to make sure that the teaching in the church is absolutely sound. So, as far as I understand it, we are the most important people out of there. Funnily, out of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, and of course, pastors, when we go to our conferences, we, we hear a lot of people giving time to the other stuff. But very rarely, in my experience, to actually the role of pastor, and I'm not... I've been saying some things, obviously, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I'm, I'm absolutely serious about that. We don't seem to value that. But um, we have a key role, and um, I, I guess that brings me around to what I want to share with you this morning, really, because just in the early part of this year, I had a, a real sense... Uh, we have got a, a wonderful church. We, we, we have got a wonderful group of people. And I was just sharing with somebody before the meeting started this morning that we, we seem to be in one of the best seasons that I can ever remember in the church. So we're very, very encouraged. And yet I had a real sense that God was speaking to me and, and really, um, really wanting me to share with people just the importance of being prepared to meet Christ again. Now, for those who know me, I'm fairly just like straight as a die. I'm just, you know, there's no kind of ups and downs. Um, I do get emotional, but not in an excitable way. I get emotional in an emotional way. But um, I I think most people would say that I'm, I'm fairly steady away. But I had a real sense that God was... And so it's not sensational. It's not like, whoa, you know, there's a war and we're hearing rumors of wars and all these kind of things. Um, you know, we better exhort the people to be ready. It, it wasn't anything to do with that. It's just a, a strong sense that really the Holy Spirit was speaking and, and speaking of the importance of a preparedness for us to meet Christ. I'm not saying, I'm not going to give you a date when Christ is going to return or anything like that. I just want you to absolutely be ready when that day comes. And uh, Alan was right. I was hurriedly scribbling something down. My memory is not good, which is why I need to take copious notes when I'm preaching. But even in that last song, uh, one of the last verses, we actually repeated it, which was helpful. It helped me scribble a little bit more down. Um... When Christ shall come with trumpet sound, may I then in him be found. Dressed, what does it say? Dressed in his righteousness. Dressed in his righteousness alone. Wonderful. Thank you. You know it better than I do. And I just think that that is so, so important. Now, I'm not going to preach on this, but you'll get this for free. Um... You don't need to turn it up or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm only just going to refer to it very, very briefly. But um, in Matthew 6 uh, and verse 19, um, just a couple of verses following on from that, Jesus speaks to us uh, well, we, about this just well-known passage, uh, phrase to us, um, this truth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then very importantly, this, this uh, verse 21 of Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the last line of that, which I emphasize, is often misunderstood and taken to mean, what's your heart? Because your heart um, will, your life will basically follow what your heart is loving, what your heart is leading you towards. But actually what it says there is watch where your treasure is. Because your heart will actually follow your treasure. And we have to be very, very careful. There are any amount of things in the world that are grappling for our attention. And I think it means that as Christians, we should have a high value of heaven. That is where our treasure is going to be found. That is where we, if indeed we are, if, if indeed we are and we're going to persevere to the end, we are Christians and we're going to persevere to the end, that is where we're going to spend eternity in the presence of Christ. Wonderful, again, just somebody reading out from Revelation this morning because I'm going to come to it. Not, not that particular chapter, but I'm going to come to Revelation in just a moment. So we need to have this high view of heaven. Heaven should be something that we absolutely treasure. Now, all our songs this morning point towards, you know, our expression of all that Christ is to us and all that we are in Christ. And yet, it's easy to sing in church, isn't it? It's easy to be encouraged when we gathered with the local church and, you know, the band strikes up and we're in the presence. But it's what I want to exhort you to today is what we do in each and every day. How we press into God. How we have a view of how we treasure heaven and follow all those callings which heaven has for us. Now, we know that the current order of things is, is transient. We know that it's, it's not how it should be, and it's not how it's supposed to be. However, we're all in great danger of falling into this pattern that the world has at the moment, and we tend to say, well, the world, it's a desperate place. It's just the way it is. And, you know, the Bible, we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible speaks about all these things. But things are not how they're supposed to be, and nor are we. We're not how we are supposed to be or how we will be in the future. And so we've got much to do, and God has got much to do with us. And so that is very, very important that we consider those things. Okay, having said that, Alan will be worried because that is just the preamble. And that's a word that Ray Law uses, and we know how long Ray Law preaches for, so. Um, okay. So, if you've got your Bibles with you, or your phones, or your apps, or whatever you've got, um, if you want to turn to Revelation 21, sorry, Revelation 19. I was just looking at Revelation 21. That's the wrong place. Revelation 19 and verses 6 to 10. That's what we're going to read it. So, so from a personal sense and from a personal point of view, 
just at the turn of the year, I, I really had a sense that, that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me about the bride preparing herself to meet the bridegroom. That, that was the actual words that I had a sense that God was exhorting me to speak into the church. Now, I, I've not, I've not preached this in our church in Selby, but because I'm preaching on a regular basis, three or four times a month in Selby, I've been dripping these things into our church. But this is the first time. I've not brought this. This is specially for you guys. So if you've got ears to hear, um, let's see what the Spirit's saying. Shall we just pray first? Let's just pray before we go any further. Father God, we just want to say thank you for your amazing plan for each and every one of us. We thank you how intricately you set it all in place and in motion in your sovereignty. We thank you that that caught us up. We were caught up in it. And Father, we thank you for this amazing plan that you would send your son out of the glory and the majesty of heaven for people like me. That we might have life and life in all its fullness. And we thank you for this day. What a glorious day. But we know that one day, there'll be no need for the sun or the moon because you will be the light. And it'll be far more glorious and radiant than anything that we've experienced up to now. And so, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. As somebody said, we celebrated it last week. It's so wonderful. But Holy Spirit, come now and speak to us. Speak into our hearts. Help us to be changed. Help us to glorify God in all that we say and do. For your glory. Amen. Okay. So I, I, just, had a, I just have a sense on the back of this of the church really sleepwalking into danger. And just as we were talking about this on the, on the way up this morning, Angela was saying, yeah, sleepwalking. Angela said that she used to sleepwalk. And she said, obviously, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you are. You just keep going. And it's almost like you, you do know what you're doing. There's some kind of familiarity there. And, and I had a sense just to exhort that, that our local church, just of the dangers of sleepwalking into, you know, the next day and the next week and the next month. And I think COVID exposed much of the weaknesses in the local church. And I think many churches are, are, are trying to grapple with that now and trying to look at, you know, what God was actually saying um, in and through that. Um, but we do like our comforts. And uh, wonderfully, our friends um, expressed to us on these two days uh, speaking about mission um, a couple of months ago now, just, uh, just about... What we experience here is not what people are experiencing in the majority of the population of the world. And yet we're in this comfort zone in the Western church. And I don't have time to go into all these things. But I've noticed that churches that I've known and loved and respected, watering down truth. I've known of two instances of charismatic churches or traditionally churches that have been charismatic considering bringing people who have a cessationist viewpoint onto their leadership. 
And I'm just, if that's not an example of sleepwalking into danger, I don't know. These are people who I know and love and respect. People who in many cases I've looked up to for encouragement and teaching and exhortation. And so uh, let's, let's, let's read this before we go, <laughs> before we go any further. Because Alan is starting to sweat. Okay. You, you can follow this through yourselves and, whoa, Revelation is a, it can be a hard read. We worked through the whole book of Revelation. It's on our website if you fancy hearing any of those things. But uh, we're just going to have to cut straight to the chase here and get into it. And I heard, this is uh, Revelation 19 verse 6, and I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunder and saying, Hallelujah! We sang that as well this morning, didn't we? There's a lot of hallelujahs in the Old Testament, but as far as I understand it, there's only four in the New Testament, and they're here. Hallelujah! For the Lord God, the omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, or his bride, has made herself ready. So at the end, at the end of the ages, at the end of time, the bride will be ready. But we've got to be ready. That's the thing. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Sorry to leave it on that because you're all thinking, well, what does that mean? And I haven't got time to tell you, to be honest. But you can ask Alan after and he'll he'll put you right. So the bride must make herself ready, as I understand it, by refusing to conform to the idolatry and the immorality of the culture of the day. Now, that speaks right into our situation so well. I mean, we, we are. I mean, they say that there's nothing new under the sun. And if, you, if you're a historian and you look back and you understand what the Greeks and the Romans and others were like, you'll say, well, you know, some things don't change. Nevertheless, we have access to more hideous stuff that our fingertips now, if we want to go there, than there has ever been before. And it is a great danger for the church. So I'm here to exhort you into godliness. I've got to be careful what I say, though, because you, I'm sure that looking out and having met many of you, you are a very godly bunch and you are an excellent church. But nevertheless, we still need to hear these things. And many of the challenges that the church has faced in Revelation 2 and 3, which we're very familiar with, we are actually facing those today. Funnily enough. So some things never change. So quickly, how does godliness then relate to our faith for salvation? Because we come from a background where we understand fully that we don't get saved by good works. We're not going back there, are we? You know that would be that would be um, that would be a danger. Um, but during our lifetime, there has to be a preparation of the bride to meet the groom. 
And as far as I understand it, we, we're not fully understanding the fullness of this. And so our godliness relates into our salvation and into our relationship with God by keeping a faithful witness. Again, this is mentioned so much in the letters to the churches. And it says there in verse 10, which we just read at the end there, um, you who have the testimony of Jesus, and then repeats, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we have to have a preparedness by keeping our witness faithful and true. By keeping witnessing. Now, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've heard every excuse why people are not witnesses. I want to tell you, if you were born again, if Christ has burst onto the scene of your life like he did mine, and turned you absolutely upside down, I don't care whether you're an evangelist or what, you will want to tell people about Jesus. You've got to tell people about Jesus. Now, we might not know how to do it as eloquently as those who are called to do the work of an evangelist, but we can nevertheless do it. Tell them what happened to you. We've got to keep a faithful witness. Now, it would be a bit odd, wouldn't it? Um, if you were getting married, and last time I was here, actually, at one of these mission days, I, I was on a table where there was a couple that were just newly engaged, as I understand it. It would be very strange, wouldn't it, if you were engaged to be married and you never told anybody about your wedding. What would all that be about? It's either because you're embarrassed about your spouse or you're embarrassed about something. And it's the same with Jesus. We should be compelled to tell people of what we believe, of what we're trusting and of where our faith lies. And so if the if we, as the bride of Christ, cannot speak of our betrothal to a loving, joyful relationship to God, you know, that is a dangerous place to be in. We also, importantly, I'm, I'm running through these as, as quick as I can, and that can't be the time, surely. Um, we also need to know the bridegroom better. Marriage in Scripture is a picture of intimacy. Absolutely, all the way through. There are some, that we're not saying that every marriage in Scripture has been a blessed one and without difficulties, but it should be a picture of intimacy. And we need that intimacy to be building now. We need a preparedness in that intimacy. And I want to ask you this morning, could you honestly... I'm not having a, honestly, I'm not having a go at it. This is an exhortation. This is an encouragement to encourage you onto even more wonders that you're already seeing and been part of. But could you honestly describe your relationship to Jesus at this moment as intimate? I want to tell you, my wife, if we're talking about gifting, she's off the scale as far as I'm concerned. I've never met anybody like her. She is absolutely amazing. And if I get up to go to the toilet or whatever, at half past four in the morning, she's awake. She is praising God. She's reading scripture. And she does that until her eyes close 
at night. Now, it's a little bit easier for us because it's, it's, you might say it's our job to do those kind of things. But what I want to say to you is I'm constantly, constantly challenged by the intimate relationship that she has with Jesus. And that draws me along. I can't slack in our house because she'd have me bang to rights. But why would I? It's the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. I was just going nowhere, a young man of 18, 19 years old, just living for the weekend. Then all of a sudden, whoa, couldn't hold down relationships. And then somehow got into this relationship with the most high God. I wasn't looking for it. I used to see people going to church. I used to think, if they're happy, I don't want to be. I knew that I wasn't like them. But wow, when the Holy Spirit met my spirit and I was changed, everything changed. Everything changed. Now, I'm exhorting myself here as well, really, because you know I know that I need a preparedness about me. But being betrothed or engaged is a time when ideally you get to know one another increasingly. We are betrothed to Christ. We've got to get to know him increasingly. But I don't care. I've been a Christian for 38 years. The more I know, the more I understand I don't know. We need to keep knowing him. Knowing that that relationship one day will be consummated, but only as that promised day arrives. I'm not going to see the fullness of Christ. One day, I keep thinking about this as well, one day I will see him and somehow I will be like him. Me! I never even considered God until I was 19. Hated him. Biblically, I had no interest in him whatsoever. Absolutely amazing. If, if you are one of the older members of the congregation here. Perhaps when you were courting, you wrote letters to one another. Love letters. Maybe you've still got some of them. And you were twittivated, like the creatures on Bambi. You know, when they're all there and it's springtime and everybody's twittivated and, oh, gooey-eyed and all those kind of things. Just like, I hope you still are now. But you probably wrote letters. I want to tell you, We've got a book full of letters, love letters to us from our bridegroom, exhorting us to draw near, to draw closer to him. Whoa, I've got so much to say and so little time. I'm going to have to try and wind some things up here. We've got a down payment. In biblical times when people got engaged, it was almost like a it was it was more than what an engagement is today. You know, people seem to get engaged now, and I'm I'm not referring to anybody or anything now, but just generally things that I pick up, things that I hear. You know, we've got engaged. They like the party. They like the idea of getting married. They like love the idea of presents. But how much commitment is there? Biblically, it's absolutely different to that. When you were engaged, when you were betrothed to somebody, it was a, it was the start of something that would build and build and build until that consummation on that day when we will meet him and we will be like him. And whoa, wonder of wonders. We are going to rejoice and praise him forever. It's absolutely amazing stuff. So the engagement is not a trial period. 
It's more than that. It's more than that. So what am I saying? I'm, go- I'm going to cut out half my notes. I'm going to do, I- I- I'm not. What am I saying here? Those that are invited are identified by their fine linen. By their outward appearance, if you like. Their clothing. But their clothing was given as a gift. They didn't earn it particularly. A gift of grace given by the groom because no one has clothes bright enough to look like these. I could, I, I didn't get into church by pulling myself up by my bootstraps and thinking, I must try a bit harder. I must become a bit more religious. I didn't want to be religious. I saw, I had a, I had a glimpse of what religion was like. And I thought, that is not for me. But we know that it's not religion that we do on a Sunday. It's not religion that we do every day of our lives. It's something much more than that. We're given clothes, bright and pure. And even though the bride has given these clothes, the emphasis is for her to make herself ready. We've got to make ourselves ready, guys. We've got to be prepared. Please, as the local church, one to another, let's exhort our people not to sleepwalk into danger. And she's made bed. She is made ready, actually, by her righteous deeds. It's a sign, actually, that we are betrothed. Her, our fidelity to Christ, the bride's fidelity to Christ, is in word and deed, and it's evidenced in saving grace. It's wonderful. Righteous deeds do not merit salvation. But if you ask me, they are a necessary evidence of salvation. We've got to do the stuff, guys. We've got to be the people of God. We're not just are the people of God. We've got to be, we've got to do something. And um, I've run out of time. I'm going to ask Angela to come up now. Um. Yeah, do, shall we stand up? Um, you know, one of the ways that we get ready, um, and one of the ways that we will get ready this morning, is by responding to what God is speaking to us about. And uh, I have a sense this morning that, you know, God is really moving here and he wants to do some things amongst us. And, you know, what really scares Satan, and it does, is when the church becomes committed and devoted. And uh, we can absolutely shake the gates of hell this morning, if you want to, by responding to what he's saying and by acknowledging it where you are in your lives and doing something about it. Because many times we hear something and we'll hold it and then we'll go home and we do nothing about it at all and nothing changes for us. And, um, you know, maybe one day Alan will maybe ask me to come and share something. Um, maybe one day. And, um, but for me, um, I was in a place um, for, for many years, for about 20 years. I, I gave my life to Christ when I was about eight years old. And um, I, I was full of dark secrets. 
That's all I can say. I had an addiction for 20 years. Um, I had anorexia. I was bulimic, And um, I had addictions that were hidden. And uh, I felt as I was praying for you guys this morning, and I felt that I heard God speak some things for, for you. And so God never comes to say something ever to condemn us. He convicts us by the power of his spirit to bring freedom and change. And let me tell you this morning, if I say some of these things and anybody looks with their religious judgment eyes, you will have to answer for that because there's grace here and there's kindness and there's mercy. And let me tell you, I need the mercy. I needed the mercy and the kindness of a saviour. So if you've got a ministry team this morning, maybe they'll come out because things are going to happen this morning and it might get all a bit messy because I I like messy things. And um, so we're going to have a ministry team and we're going to respond, guys, this morning because um, so there's some people that are stuck. That's what God said to me. There's some people that are truly stuck. So I'm going to read these words out to you and... um, you can stay there till the end, until the worship comes, and then nobody actually knows what you're coming out for. And uh, so then there's no embarrassment of anything. But um, I do believe there's these addictions that people have got. And I feel there's somebody, God said in here today, there's somebody that is self-harming. And it is something that you've got into doing. And it's a secret, and it's a dark secret. And God's saying today, today you can be set free. Uh, truly set free from this. And um, I felt there was somebody, uh, there's a few people doing this, that you're using alcohol as a crutch. And every night you're drinking, 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 drinking. And it's an addiction. And it's what the culture of the world is saying is okay. That's why it's mo- the most normalized addiction there is. And, um, but it's not what the Bible says, and we're not meant to be addicted to wine. And uh, so you'll know if some things are stirring. And then um, I just felt that God was showing me that there's some addictions to pornography in here. And God is not going like that with the finger at you. He's coming with all the grace and kindness to you. And he's saying you've got trapped in a dark place in a dark place of pornography. And um, I've been in many situations. I've even had that situation myself when I was younger. And so don't think it's to men or just only. It happens to girls. It happens to young people. And so God is saying today to come into the freedom of those things this morning. And um, there's people, and they've got issues with food. And you, you know that yourself because it starts to consume your thoughts. And so you need to come out today. And then I, I had this, this sense that um, there was this overcome, over-concentration, really, of the past in somebody's mind that was paralyzing them to move forward in the future because really... There was something that had happened and there were you were stuck in some trauma somewhere. And I feel that somebody here has had the trauma of abuse. And it's paralyzed you somewhere that you can't move forward. And God is saying to you today, you need to come forward. 
And um, I wrote all these down, but somehow God's reminding me of them all. And uh, I feel, feel there's some people here today that you feel disappointed and you feel a despondency. And it's made you very grey. And it's made you very lifeless. And if that's you today and you feel spiritually actually very lifeless and you've got no passion and zeal in you anymore and you know that that's not the person you were, God's saying you need to come and get set free this morning because there's somebody here today that you've prayed, you keep praying a prayer and you've prayed this prayer for some time and God's not answered you. And I feel for somebody here today, this is a very specific thing. And he's telling me to tell you um, that he's brought intentional delays to your prayers. Because he's been waiting for you to surrender, to trust him and to come under his control and to come under his timetable. And there's somebody that you've been, it's like you're barging God somewhere, you're in control of something that you've prayed for, getting answered when you need it answering. So the band, if you want to, if you want to come up and I'll, um, I'll just read. Um, there's, a, there's a specific thing for a mother that I feel, but there's somebody who feels very anxious about um, a child's behaviour. And um, I felt that it was starting to overwhelm you so that you, you can't actually see or hear Jesus. There's somebody that's, specifically, it's about a child's really bad behavior. And it's starting to overwhelm you and consume you. So that person needs to come forward as well. So shall we have a time? I just want to say this as well. If you feel stuck, get yourself out. If you, feel, if you feel lifeless, seriously, if you feel lifeless and that you haven't got this zeal and energy that Dave was speaking about this morning, if that isn't you and you want some passion of Jesus, I, I mean, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with anybody. But anyway, uh, just move. You need to move. We haven't got a lot of time. Just move and get yourself out and get some prayer. Can we have more ministry team people out please because I want us to be praying not just one to one with some of these these are serious issues so so please if you're at all involved in pastoral ministry or group leader please just come down we may not need you but I'd far rather have more people than than we need than fewer for you to respond anything that God's been provoking in you please come out we do not want anyone to leave here this morning feeling they've missed that opportunity for prayer we want you to come do business with God for him to set you free and for that sense of being stuck to be overcome that you might move forward powerfully in what God has got for you